0: Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. So we've been talking about dreams for the past three weeks, and I think I could summarize the past three messages just briefly this way. Week one, recognizing God's dream for your life is the most important thing you can do. And the foundation that you build your dream on really matters. What are dreams anyways? Well, they're hope for a better future. And Pastor Nelson emphasized you cannot build hope on hurt. You build your dreams on Christ. Week two... Your past mistakes don't disqualify you from being successful in living out God's dream for your life. God will use every choice you've ever made to make things work for your good if you love God and do things his way. Week three, the struggle is real. Achieving God's dream doesn't come easy. He isn't going to hand it to you without effort from you. In fact, if you want to truly take a hold of God's dream for your life or take back God's dream for your life, be prepared to struggle for it. Don't throw in the towel. Fight and fight hard. Don't take the easy way out. He will be with you and he will honor you if you hang in there. Today, we're going to chat perspective. Perspective is very important because it has a direct impact on how you will fare in taking back God's dream for your life perspective It's how you see things, how you look at things. As a matter of fact, perspective might be the single most important determining factor in whether or not you succeed in dream achievement. Your perspective determines your purpose. It determines your passion. It determines your place in history. As I mentioned, it's how you see things, how you see everything. It determines how you see yourself how you see others, and how you see God. Everything you have in your life, your money, your relationships, everything will be controlled by your perspective. This is not a tiny deal, this is the big deal. Around 15 years ago, I was sitting in Pastor Nelson's Nelson's office, and he said something I've never forgotten. He said, Brent, think about it this way. Everybody has filters that they see the world through. Now, I picture one of those intense contraptions, you know, like the big mask they put on your face when you're at the eye doctor, and it's like, click, 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 can you see it now? Click, is it blurry? Click, is it clear? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's kind of a weird, kind of a scary contraption, actually, but they use it to diagnose problems, and uh, they get you to read the tiny little letters across on the wall. He said, when you become a Christian, and as you mature in your faith, those filters that you're seeing everything through begin to change. You don't look at things the way you once did. And it makes sense to me, and I'll describe it, as I describe it. As I've grown in my faith and in truth, things have become much more clear for me. Areas of life that were once muddy or confusing or blurry have begun to really make sense. How to be a good husband, how to be a good dad, how to be wise with money, how to treat people well. Things like that. And I'm not batting a thousand, but as, I, but as I've walked longer with Jesus, the clarity and the ability to flesh these things out has gone up significantly. Something I learned a long time ago is the opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear is faith. And only one of the two can be in the driver's seat in your life, fear or faith. Faith. And when we talk about taking back God's dreams for your life, guess which one empowers you to get the job done? Guess which one paralyzes you, fear or faith? You're either going to look at life through a filter of fear or a filter of faith. One of the greatest journeys the world has ever seen took place thousands of years ago. It was when God rescued his people, the nation of Israel, from slavery in Egypt. At that point in time, they had been held captive for 400 years. That's like five generations. This was all they knew. Generations of hopelessness in slavery. Now God got a hold of a man named Moses and told him, Moses, I've heard my people's cry. I've seen their misery. I'm going to deliver them from the Egyptians. And not only that, I'm going to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey that they will be able to claim as their own. Now keep that phrase in mind, flowing with milk and honey, as we proceed through the story. So through a series of incredible events, which we don't have time to get into detail today, God got them out of Egypt, and they spent the next two years traveling through the desert. It took them a while to get reach this promised land that God had for them, since there was something like a million people that made up the nation of Israel, and as you would know, there weren't exactly motorized vehicles back then, It was by foot. So it wasn't super fast moving. It took them two years. And it's worth noting that during those two years, God performed some amazing miraculous signs. Both through Moses and just on his own. Things like parting the Red Sea. You guys have probably heard that story. So the entire nation could cross the Red Sea with dry land under their feet. It wasn't mud, it was dry land with walls of water on either side of them. Then he sent the sea crashing down on the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. Not to mention all the plagues that he sent to Egypt, the time Moses struck a rock with his staff and water came gushing out of it because the people were thirsty. Water out of stone. Another time, God had Moses throw his staff into a pond of stagnant, bitter water. When the staff struck it, the water was purified, sweetened, and good to drink. He sent manna, which is like a flaky pastry substance from heaven, for the Israelites to eat each morning. It apparently tasted like honey wafers, so not a bad deal. They wouldn't have to hunt for food. They'd just wake up and boom. There would be this bread on the ground. There was always the perfect amount for each family. Then in the evenings, God sent quail which is like chicken, enough to fill their camps with. They flew in out of the wilderness, and they just sat there waiting to be picked off and cooked up. Kind of like the grouse we see around here, right? Not the smartest animal. He led them in the direction they needed to go through the desert by day, it says, as a pillar of cloud. So there's this pillar of cloud. It would just That's the direction we're going. At night, when it was dark, it became a pillar of fire. How incredible would that be, if you really think about it? He performed all kinds of miracles for the Hebrew people during these two years. And I wanted to bring up many of them intentionally this morning, so we can revisit them towards the end of this message. Anyhow, after two years, when the nation of Israel finally reached the border of the Promised Land, God told Moses and Aaron, the two that were leading the people, to choose one leader from each of the 12 tribes to go into the land and spend 40 days there, taking note of everything they saw so they could bring a report back to the people. They were told also to bring back some of the best food that the land had to offer. So what happened at the end of the 40 days? Well, they had two different reports come back. They had the minority report and the majority report. The minority report came from two men named Caleb and Joshua. They said, the land is great. Let's get in there and take it. The Lord has promised it to us. What are we waiting for? Let's go. The majority report came back a little bit different. While they agreed that the land was lush and great, they had a different idea of what should be done. They didn't want to enter the land for fear of the people living there. They thought that the people there were too big and too powerful and too many for Israel to face. This is how it reads in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 17 through 20. It says, Moses gave these men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Enter the land boldly and then bring back samples of the crops you see. Then let's jump ahead to verse 25 and 26. It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the people of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. So we have 12 guys, 10 of whom see very much a hopeless situation. And two guys who had the exact same experience, spent the same 40 days together, saw the exact same landscapes as the others, and yet they come back with two polar opposite conclusions. Why? because of the filter that they were looking through. Remember, click. The 10 were looking through the fear lens. Joshua and Caleb had their faith lenses on, which meant they were ready to drive out their enemies the moment that they had come back from the from reporting. The other 10 had beer goggles on. They weren't looking with the right perspective. They were gonna use Sorry, we're going to use this group of 10 and the group of two as examples of what happens when God gives us a dream and we perceive it the way they did, either through eyes of fear or eyes of faith. So let's talk fear first. The first thing that happens when I look at my dreams or my future through eyes of fear is one, I get stressed by conflicting information. This was their report to Moses We arrived in the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a magnificent country. A land, remember, flowing with milk and honey. And here is some of its fruit as proof. So let's discuss that for a moment. They went in, confirmed with their own eyes that the land was indeed what God had promised them years before. God literally described it to Moses as a land flowing with milk and honey. Which means it's a very lush and bountiful land. They had the physical proof in their hands that confirmed that the land was how God described it would be. And yet, as we read on, but the people living there are powerful and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. We also saw the descendants of Anak, which are giants who are living there. So you've got two conflicting reports. Which report do you think had an easier time taking root in the people's hearts? in the nation's hearts? The fearful report or the faith report? Do you think it's any different for us today? It was the fear report. It's no different for us today. Why do you think people are so addicted to so-called news these days? Fear. It's so easy to sit and remain in a state of stress and fear. A very effective vehicle for fear in a lot of people's lives is money. Now, God wants Christians to be generous. You've probably heard that. God wants Christians to tithe at least 10% of their income. Why? Because He needs the money? No, God doesn't need money. Because He wants you to look at your finances with eyes of faith and not fear, it's about your heart. As a matter of fact, in Malachi chapter three, verse 10, God says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. A common deterrent for people to tithe is they often have other people in their lives, friends or family, usually they might say something like this, Why would you give your hard-earned money to the church? You already pay enough in taxes, which is true, but you won't have enough if you keep giving it all away. But God says, no, test me in this, test me. This is the only time in the Bible where God says that we may test him. Now I'm not saying that God is gonna make you like financially rich if you tithe. But what I am saying is if you approach this subject with faith and not fear, just watch what he does. Since I started tithing, I have never once, never once been in need. Sometimes things got stretched pretty thin, especially in the early days of marriage and having little kids, but God came through every single time, and I believe it was a result of Kelly and I never holding back our tithe. I don't know what kind of financial dreams God has for you. But I do know that they will never be realized if you approach your finances with fear rather than faith. We get stressed by conflicting information. The second thing, I develop a scarcity mentality. Things don't expand, things constrict. As we read on in Numbers 13 verse 29, describes it like this they continue on with their fear-filled report. It says, The Amalekites live in the, in, in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Since they pretty well already thought they had established that they wouldn't be attacking these people, they focused on what little there was left. They were just going to leave all those people alone, and they were trying to find, okay, well, where can we possibly fit in here? All the good stuff is gone, so in their minds they would be stuck with what remained. Maybe even happy enough to stay out in the wilderness just outside the border. This is what happens to our dreams when fear leads. We don't even look at the potentials. And we certainly aren't willing to take risks. Last week we talked about struggling to win God's dream for our lives. It takes work. It takes effort, sometimes a lot. But when fear is in the driver's seat, we don't even enter into the wrestle. We'll settle for the scraps. We surrender to, well, it's always gonna be this way in our home or in our marriage, our finances, our faith journey, it's good enough. God doesn't want just good enough for your life and you shouldn't either. Number three. I fulfill my self-defeating prophecies when fear leads. My brother said, said this to me a while back. I can't remember what the context of the conversation was. He says, you know, Brent, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. I don't know. I don't know why I love that so much. Maybe it was the smugness. My brother is smug. I'm not, but he is. But there's truth to that statement. It's an attitude that can make or break a dream in your life. The Winter Olympics are coming up. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> the NHL players aren't allowed to go so I'm, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll watch a little bit. But any of these athletes who have been training for the past four years do you think any one of them is going into it thinking, I can't do this. There's no way I'm gonna win. Why even bother? Not a chance. But are there areas in life where you do this? Maybe you've had outside voices invade your mind and they've become your own. You're useless, you're worthless. You'll, you always do this, you never do that. You're not smart enough, you're a coward. You'll never get out of debt. Your relationships will always fail, and on and on and on and on. Whatever it is, you're gonna fulfill it if you're looking at your dreams through eyes of fear. In verse 31, it says this. But the men who had gone up with Caleb said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. Not with that attitude. When I look at my future and God's dream for my life through eyes of fear, number four, I infect others with my negativity. You don't say. <laughs> when you're negative, when you're, fearful, when you're fearful, it's actually impossible to keep it to yourself. Did you know that? It's impossible. You might try to, and you might think that you're hiding it or whatever, but you're not. You can't. It's impossible. It affects everyone around you. There's nothing you can do to stop it, and it spreads around. In verse 32, it says, They spread the bad report about the land they had explored. It becomes contagious. Not only do I infect others with my negativity, but number five, I see myself as inadequate for my challenges. Living out your dream brings challenges. Living out your dreams brings problems that can be really tough to solve. Have you ever watched somebody you know and they've got like all the natural skill or talent or charisma or potential in the world yet they just never really do anything with it? Have you guys ever known anyone like that? You're like, wow, if I had that gift, if I had that talent, what'd I do with that? It's pretty frustrating to watch, Right? But when fear leads, we exaggerate our supposed inadequacies. Listen to how the 10 scouts spoke about the land after they had confirmed that it was the land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 32, it says, The land we explored devours those living in it. Really? Then wouldn't there be no one living in it? All the people we saw are of great size. Are they, though? Like, I know there were the sons of Anak that you mentioned, the giants, but everyone else? What about all the other nations filled with normal-sized people? What about the women and children? Are they of great size too? The babies? Are there giant babies? Perspective. Have you ever noticed what happens when we tend to worry? Does worry shrink, or does it get smaller the more you dwell on it? It always gets bigger. It always ends up looking way bigger than it actually is. Not only did they exaggerate the size of the people in the land, giant bearded babies everywhere, <laughs> they, then, they then jumped to exaggerating their own size, but in the opposite direction. They went on to say, "We seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes, and we look, and we look in, in our own eyes, sorry, and we look the same to them." I couldn't be a good husband. I could never be a godly man or woman. I could never succeed in business. We see ourselves as, an, as an inadequate, and too inadequate to take back God's dreams for our lives. The last result we'll look at um, when we're looking at God's dream for our lives through eyes of fear is this. And this this is a big one. I make myself miserable. There's a difference between having a bad day and being a miserable person. Have you ever met a miserable person before? Some of you are like, t-shirt. I'm with miserable. (laughs) Have you ever been a miserable person before? I have. Nothing is ever good enough. No one else is ever good enough. A miserable person can put a negative spin on any situation, no matter how good it was. As we read on in the story, Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, says, then all the people began weeping aloud, and they cried all night, and they grumbled and complained in a great chorus against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. We wish we'd died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness. Could you imagine being Moses, Aaron, Joshua, or Caleb that night? Having to endure that noise all night? I mean, I have a hard enough time enduring it when any of my kids are miserable. But an entire nation, all night long? I I just can't, I can't. After God had brought them so far and done so many incredible things along the way. But the thing is, none of us are immune to this. When fear takes over... Each one of us is capable of doing incredible things and not in a good way. Three traits of being a a miserable person are crying, complaining, second-guessing. And not just once in a while, this is consistent. Have you ever been so close to reaching a goal or dream and then second-guessed yourself at the last second? This is no life to live for anyone and it's certainly not the life has planned for anyone. Fortunately for us, he has made a way so that fear doesn't have to run our lives. We don't have to be in a constant state of misery, stress and negativity. We don't have to look at our dreams as some impossible, distant, blurry, out of reach thing. We can take back our dreams starting right now. Right now. And the antidote, as we've mentioned, to looking at my future and my dreams through eyes of fear is I learned to look with faith. I learned to look with faith. Numbers 13, verse 30 says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go at once and take possession of the land right now. We can certainly do this. He was ready to go back and start living God's dream for him the moment they got back with their report. Why would it have been a good plan for the Hebrews to do this? Because the longer they waited, the more fear was able to creep in and take hold of their hearts and their attitudes and therefore their perspective. If God gives you a clear dream, like there's some place in your life you know he's calling you to a better future, get on it right now. Don't hesitate. If he called you to it, then he will surely be with you every step of the way. Sure, there will be enemies to engage. There will be problems to solve. There will be mountains to climb. There will be struggles, but who will be with you? The same God who did all of those amazing things for the Hebrews as they crossed the desert out of Egypt and into the promised land. The exact same God, that God. He's personally with you. Now, notice the previous point says learn to look in faith. Learn to look in faith. See, this isn't our natural state, and that's okay. Our natural state is fear. Learning to look at life through eyes of faith is a lifelong journey that begins the moment you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. We call this being born again. It's a spiritual rebirth. We begin as spiritual infants. And what do infants have to do? They have to learn everything. They have to learn to walk, talk, behave. They have to learn everything. It takes time. So be patient with yourself. It's okay. But don't hesitate to get started. And don't hesitate to get restarted. If you've thrown in the towel, take it back today. Get restarted, taking back God's dream for your life. Here are three actions you can take starting today to get things moving and to get into the right perspective. Number one, invite Jesus into every room of my life. Each one of us can compartmentalize our lives and we can withhold things from certain people or even from God himself we have the capability to do that so that area where you've sort of been holding out surrendering it to him just do it just do it I didn't say start being perfect I said surrender surrender it to the one who is perfect and no matter how many times you take it back out of fear each time make the conscious choice to give it back to him again as an act of faith You're going to struggle with this. That's okay. You're going to want to take it back. Just give it back each time. Be patient with yourself. Give your anger back to him again and again and again. Give your sexuality back to him again and again and again. Give your marriage back to him. Give your finances back to him. Anywhere you've taken it back, place it in his more than capable hands. The more you do it, the more your faith grows. And guess what changes? Your perspective, your eyes, the way you see those particular areas of your life changes. But as I mentioned earlier, this is only possible if you're first born again. Jesus himself assures us of this in John chapter 3, verse 3. He said, Unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. That's perspective. Well, how are we able to see the kingdom of God? Through faith. We're able to see things anew from a spiritual standpoint. And the more you walk and you grow in the spirit through obedience and surrender, the clearer your spiritual eyesight will get. That's when things start to change. You start to see everything different. That's what I'm talking about. The second step is take a natural next step in baptism, If you haven't been baptized since you've made a conscious decision to follow Jesus by full body submersion, then what is holding you back? Is it fear? We just spent a whole bunch of time discussing what happens when fear is in control. Is it unclarity of what baptism is? If so, here's what baptism is. I can explain it to you right now. It's a public outward expression of an inward commitment that you've made to Jesus Christ. You're publicly stating, Jesus, I'm going to commit the rest of my life to you. Here's what Paul says about baptism in Colossians chapter two, verse twelve. It says, When you are baptized under water, you are buried with Christ, and then you are raised up with him through your faith in the power of God who brought Christ back to life. That's baptism. That's it. It's simple. But it's important. The last point we'll take a look at, if you want to take back God's dream for your life using eyes of faith rather than fear, is this do whatever God tells me to do. Very simple, very difficult. (laughs) How do I know what God is telling me to do? What's in the Bible? It's literally in the Bible. What he wants you to do is in the Bible. He gives every single Christian all the direction that we need to do what he is telling us to do. And once we begin to understand and operate and practice that way, then he gets into the specific and the detail part of your dreams. Because you're an individual person and he has an individual dream for your life. It's tailored, custom made, just for you. But until we start practicing this, learning what his word says he wants us to do, we're not going to see it. He has it there for us, but we're not going to be able to see it. We won't have the perspective. In Numbers 14, verse 6 through 9, Joshua with Caleb said, We saw the land ourselves, and it's very good. If we obey the Lord, he will surely give us that land, rich with what? Milk and honey, there it is again. So don't rebel. We have no reason to be afraid of the people who live there. The Lord is on our side and they don't stand a chance against us. It's not even, we'll probably beat them. They don't stand a chance. Faith and fear cannot be in control. We have to choose one or the other. What promised lands God has planned for you, I have no idea. But this is how you grab hold of it. You learn how to look at life through eyes of faith. And as I said, every time you give in to fear, just make the change you need to. Be patient with yourself. You're going to make mistakes along the way. It's okay. Just get it right, set it right. And you're free to do that because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Would you stand with me? I'm going to get you to bow your head, close your eyes. I showed a video two weeks ago, just a really quick clip, where there was a guy driving a race car and he rips the rearview mirror off his car and says, What's behind me doesn't matter. It's what's ahead that matters. And I used that in the context of your past poor decisions. And that's correct. Stop dwelling on your past. Look forward to the dream God has for you. However, this morning, I want you to put that rearview mirror back up. Not to look at your decisions, not to look at your past decisions. They're gone. They're paid for. I want you to look at your past where God has intervened in your life. So, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And before we pray, I want you to look back and try and remember those moments of your life where it was just too good to be true, too much of a coincidence. If you've ever seen the movie The Dark Knight Rises, it's Batman. Jim Gordon says, You're a detective now, son. There's no such thing as coincidence anymore. I'll borrow his words, but I'll say it like this If you're a Christian, there's no such thing as coincidence anymore. God was with you in every moment remember those desert times in your life when you were thirsty did he provide water for you did he turn your bitterness to sweet has he parted a sea for you when you had nowhere else to go has he guided you when you were lost Has he provided food and nourishment for your soul? Where in your life has he met with you? Just take a moment. I'm going to stop talking. Just take a moment. If you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, then um, you've never had the option. You've never had the option to walk and view life through eyes of faith. It's always just been fear, whether you realize it or not. That's our natural state. So I want to give you the opportunity to begin life anew in Christ. This is that spiritual rebirth I was talking about. And this is where you can begin to learn perceive life through eyes of faith where you can begin to unlock those dreams that God has for you. So if you want to take a step, your first step in faith this morning, receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can borrow these words, you can pray something like this in the quietness of your heart between you and Him. Lord Jesus, I'm making the decision today. I'm taking a, a step in faith. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm choosing to believe by faith, Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins. And I invite you into my life now because you rose again and you're alive. Come into my heart. Cleanse me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord. I want to surrender all of my life to you, every compartment, every room. And Lord when I try to take it back, teach me how to give it back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Help me to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray for everyone in this room, everyone watching online. Lord, throughout our lives, you've never not been there. And I thank you for those moments. We all have them, Lord, where you parted the Red Seas, where you fed us when we were starving. You gave us good water to drink. You put people in our lives to build into us. Because you want us, Lord, to walk by faith, not by fear. To see everything we do through your eyes, not our own so Lord instill that in our hearts this morning yes help us to be courageous Lord but that is not the antidote to fear help us to grow in the areas we need to grow in faith so that we can conquer these fears because you are with us we can take back those dreams we can take that promised land you have for us and it's not even a chance for the enemy (laughs) they don't stand a chance help us to realize this and to remember this as we go Thank you that you're so good to us, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.